Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. Uh, so pleased to be with you. We had a great weekend last weekend, as you can tell just from a few of those snapshots. Uh, so cool to see how God moved in our church, and uh, many of you uh, took huge risks to invite friends and family and co-workers. In fact, you actually may be here uh, because someone invited you to come and join uh, with what God's doing here. And I just want to give you a few snapshots to celebrate. You got to see some of the pictures, but I want to give you a few things to celebrate just from last weekend so you have a sense of what God is doing around here and what we get to be a part of. And so I'm telling you this in advance because these are things to celebrate. And when I say celebrate, that means that we actually clap and cheer and get excited about these things, okay? So I'm just letting you know that in advance so that you're properly prepared. All right, so uh, here, this is what's really fun. Last week, and this is great, uh, you know, we had over 150 volunteers volunteer uh, on Sunday alone, which is pretty amazing. So, so, so grateful for many of you, and that's many of you are just clapping for yourselves uh, because so many folks are involved in what God's doing here in this church, and it's so cool just to see that. I think you could feel that last weekend. Last weekend in Soul City Kids, uh, we doubled our highest attendance. We had 101 kids, 101. It's got to be that extra one, so 101 kids. That's not even counting or including all the families that showed up for our big find indoor uh, Easter egg hunt. This is a really fun number. We had one real-life petting zoo in our church last week, which I think is worth celebrating. Okay, it's not worth celebrating. All right, all right. Uh, here's what's uh, really exciting. Last week, between our Good Friday experience, which I hope you got to experience, it was a very, very, very powerful time uh, to prepare ourselves for Easter Sunday. And uh, between that and our Easter weekend, uh, we had 1,031 people show up to our little church, which is pretty exciting this last weekend. So that, again, worth celebrating. And then, uh, this is really fun, hundreds and hundreds of people from our church took a significant step forward in their transformational relationship with Jesus and marked a moment last week to say, you know, I want to invite Jesus to enter into my finances, my family, or my future, whatever it was. And uh, so hundreds of people many, uh, just made a, a response last week. Uh, specifically, 62 people said, I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus last weekend, which very much worth celebrating. So it was kind of a good weekend, uh, and so we were very, very uh, pleased with that, and, and uh, what I love is where God's taken us for the next couple weeks, because uh, we work so hard and focus so much of the Christian faith around the events of Easter, the cross, the empty tomb, and those events are real, and they actually happen, and we base our faith on those events and what they mean to us, but if you were to look at those events as they occurred, and there's an inevitable question that comes is, okay, what happened next? So this all happens, and it's this major, you know, central moment in the story of Christianity, obviously this pinnacle moment in the life of Jesus, but then, then what? Then what happens? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to look at life after Jesus. What happens after Jesus ascends and, and goes into heaven, and his followers are left here to continue his work? His followers are left here to continue the building of the kingdom, of God here on earth. What happens then and how are we a part of that work today? We're going to look at the birth and the evolution of the revolution known as the church over the next couple weeks. And to understand sort of how significant that moment was, I want to ask you to think about a a, a pretty, uh, you know, maybe intense question for you. If you had just one day uh, left, if you you only had one more day here on earth or in your life, 
and you just had like 24 hours, what, what do you think you'd want to say to others? If you, if you knew you only had a day and you had to boil it down, what, what, what would be your message? What would you want to share? And, and who would you want to share it with? Like if you found out the news, okay, look, you know, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, you're gone and you've got one day. What is it that is in your heart, your life? What are you going to share? Who are you going to share it with? Some of you are like, I would say, I told you I was sick, right? That, we're going to push in a little deeper than that, all right? That's funny, but we'll push in a little deeper than that. I remember Jeannie's dad, actually, um, he used to do this all the time when they, were, when they were kids, and it kind of became this thing in their family where he would, you know, after work, he'd be so exhausted or tired, he'd come in, stagger into the house. He goes, kids, gather around, and they'd all come into the family room. He's like, oh, it's the big one, and he'd kind of be acting it out. He goes, he'd lay down on the couch. He's like, I have to tell you one more thing before I go. You know, the kids are there. He's like, there's a huge bag of money buried right by the... And then he'd like pretend like he was dead. And they'd fall for it every time. And they, oh no, we lost. You know, so it's... I love that story, so I do that with our kids. But uh, <laughs> you got to carry on tradition. But they know us, our family, well enough to know there's no sack of money anywhere. So they don't buy, you know, buy it quite as much. But if you had one day, what would you say? And who would you say it to? Who would you share it with? That's, that's where we're going to actually start in the text today, is right before Jesus leaves this earth, he has a few moments left with his followers, and we're going to look at what he said to them in those last few moments, his final words to them before he left earth, and what that meant to them and what it means to us today, because these words are incredibly, incredibly significant. He'd already gone through what God, he'd been faithful and obedient to what God had brought him to do. He literally offered, joyfully offered his life for us, for our behalf, was raised by God, for the power of God from the dead. This is everything we celebrated last week. All that has happened, all of it's fulfilled, scripture, everything has happened. These are his final few moments with his followers, and this is what he has to share. So I'd ask that you'd grab a Bible in front of you. There should be a blue Bible right there in front of you. We're going to look at exactly, we have recorded what Jesus' last words were before he left. Now we say this every week. Uh, you can grab a blue Bible, open to, to page 1003 in the blue Bible. We say this every week. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, then this Bible that you're holding out is your gift. It's, take, that, take this Bible from us. I, I love that you get to steal a Bible from church. That is a very fun thing to say and brag to your friends. So uh, please, 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 last week I had a conversation with a guy after our Easter service who was kind of like embarrassed. I didn't, you know, he's a grown man, didn't own a Bible. I'm like, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It is our, our joy to be able to give you one of these Bibles because we believe in God's words. And it's, it's not an obligation, but an opportunity for us to grow. So we're going to look at God's word. We're going to dive into Jesus' final words with his followers. Page 1003, it's Acts chapter 1. And it says this, on one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. So the, it's drawn to a close, and he's telling them, look, this is important. Pay attention to this. He says these words, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. So now, just a little context. They're in Jerusalem. That's, that's the city that they're in. This is the city where Jesus was arrested, tried, just outside the city of Jerusalem is where he was crucified. Okay, so this, this city, this has just happened. This is about 40 days after the events of the cross and the tomb. And Jesus says, I want you to stay here. And many of them had, had presumed they needed to go into hiding because they assumed that they were next, that they were going to come looking for these followers of Jesus next. And he says to them, look, don't flee, don't run, don't take off, don't grab your passports. No, stay in Jerusalem, stay right 
here. And he goes on to say, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. I just want to hit pause there because these guys have spent three years with Jesus and they heard him say a lot of things. And most of it they didn't get. And like half of it they got wrong. And so you can imagine he says, you know, like the gift that we've talked about, you know, the thing that we've talked about. You can kind of see them scrambling, look at each other like, yeah, 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 I remember Jesus. Like, did anyone, Matthew, are you writing this down? Like, is anyone getting this? Like, this is important. And so then they start to remember, oh yeah, that's right. Jesus had promised us this just hours before he was arrested. He said that there would be the spirit of truth that would come and stay with us forever. Oh yeah, scripture has actually pointed to this. That he is going to go, but there is one who is going to come. Jesus goes on to say, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it's really interesting. In that moment, again, Peter, not quite sure, not quite getting it, goes, okay, so Jesus, is this the time now? Is this the time that you're going to sort of turn everything on its head and you're going to overthrow Rome and, 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 and Israel will rise up as a superpower in the world? So is this what you're talking about? Like this, is this the point? Because we've asked you like many points along the way and you keep totally telling us and denying us and saying that we have the wrong idea of what power is. But is this the time? Are, are you going to do it now? Jesus is like, oh my goodness, you st- I really, this is who I'm entrusting. Like I really, this, you still are missing it. They're waiting for Jesus to do something for them, to demonstrate his power for them, to overthrow Rome and to establish Israel as a political power. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. let me turn that completely on its head. Let me turn your understanding of power on its head and let me under, like, completely undermine your assumption of who's going to be doing what. And so he says these words in Acts 1.8, which is our central text for today, Acts 1.8. Jesus says, no, you will receive power. They're waiting for Jesus to demonstrate his power for them one more time. He says, okay, you will actually receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And who? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's keep that verse up on the screen. Keep your finger in the Bible right there. Like, this is majorly significant because they're saying, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And he goes, you know what I'm going to do next? You're going to do it. That's what's next. The Holy Spirit is going to come like it's been promised. And that power will be made available to you. You will receive power. And you'll be my witnesses, which means you will tell my story. You will give an account of everything you have seen culminated in my life. You will be my witnesses here in the city, in the city, and then to Judea and Samaria, which are the surrounding areas, parts of which the good religious Jews would never go to. Jesus goes, yeah, I'm sending you there too, right? You don't get off easy. And then just to kind of sum things up, Jesus says, and to the ends of the earth, right? Which is D, all of the above, okay? So he says, look, this is what's going to happen. You will receive power, and you will actually be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Jesus is basically laying out the plans for the church, but I use the word plans very loosely because that's all he said. There was no like five-year plan, no pro forma, no like leadership structure established. He says, here's what's going to happen. Here's my plan. You're going to receive power. You're going to tell my story here, there, and everywhere, and I'm out. And Jesus kind of literally is done. And can you imagine in that moment, he says these words to them, and then he literally ascends up into heaven. He goes back into heaven. Can you imagine being the disciples in that moment? Going, wait, wait, you don't mean us. Like, wait a second. There's more religious people coming, right? 
There's no way that they, we could handle this. He says, no, 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 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Can you imagine the questions they would have as Jesus is ascending to heaven? Like, now? Is it, when, now? Should we wait? Where should we wait exactly? By waiting, how long should we? I mean, can you imagine the questions? We, what, what are we supposed to do first? What are we supposed to do next? When do we introduce pews? Why, we have so many questions, Jesus. I don't know. How are we supposed to do this? Jesus demonstrates his faith in them and in us and ascends into heaven and leaves them to wait to do the work of God, which he began. You know what that feels like to have to wait when you want God to do something for you, as Kurt taught us a couple weeks ago, but God has actually wanted to do something in you and through you. You know how hard it is to wait in that. So they wait. They wait. Now, here's what's really interesting. Uh, None of these events happened coincidentally. In fact, they're in the middle of a major uh, Jewish celebration slash festival that happened every year where they would come together, people from literally all over the world would come together specifically to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover was the holiday where they would remember how God delivered the people of God, which would eventually become the people of Israel, from the hand of the Egyptians. And so that's what Passover was. Maybe you grew up celebrating Passover. And so people from literally all over the world, like God-fearing Jews from all over the world, would come to Jerusalem because that was really the sort of spiritual center of the Jewish faith. And so they would come for Passover, but then you know, seven weeks later, about 49 days later, was another holiday called Pentecost, which is the celebration of first fruits, new life. And so what many of these Jews would do is they would come in from around the world, come to celebrate Passover, and then stay through to the celebration seven weeks later called Pentecost. Well, do you want to take a guess at what weekend Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead? Passover. A time where people would remember how God had delivered them in the past. God delivered them in real time through the sacrifice, the death, the life, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That happens on Passover weekend. So now, flash forward seven weeks later, and the first fruits celebration called Pentecost is about to happen. And what's about to be born and grow from the soil of that city is the first fruits of the thing called the church. And so there they are, locked up in this upper room. At that point, the followers of Jesus numbered around 120 or so. And so they just stayed and waited for God to do what he said he would do. But surrounding them was a sea of people. At that time, historians believe that the city of Jerusalem occupied probably around 100,000 people in that small city, about 100,000 residents, if you will. But during this Passover Pentecost celebration, people would come in from around the world, and historians have marked that it was in the numbers of 500,000 people in this city at once. You remember when we tried to get the Olympics to come to Chicago? What a hassle and nightmare that would have been? This is 10 times, and they didn't even have that good of an L system back then. All right, so... This was a major event. People were just on top of people, on top of people, on top of people. And in one little upper room loft were the followers of Jesus praying and worshiping and waiting. And then something incredibly significant happens that was promised long ago, promised directly in those final words of Jesus. Jump ahead to Acts chapter 2, would you? It happens around 9 a.m. on Pentecost morning. 
Acts 2, verse 1, when Pentecost came, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, that being the followers, believers in Jesus, they were all together in one place. They could all fit in one place at that time, just so you understand the scale of things. They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, that means other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. So this is a majorly significant moment in the life of the church because this is the birth of the church. If you wondered how we got here, if you wondered what happened, maybe you grew up going to church and you never even thought to question, where did this all come from? Has it always been this way? Do we always stand up, sit down? Are there always been hymnals? Where did this come from? This is where it came from. This event happens where God pours himself out through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And these followers of Jesus, about 120 or so, who had been worshiping and praying and waiting, are now worshiping and praying and waiting, but they're doing it in different languages. And it's so loud and so unique that people from outside of this upper room begin to notice. Not only notice, they begin to hear. Not just hear, they begin to understand. They're hearing their native tongue. They're hearing people speak their language. These are men and women from Galilee, just locals, now speaking languages that they'd never spoken before because God enabled them to do so, so that everyone around could hear their language being spoken and prayers being prayed to God and worship pouring out to God in their own language. And so this huge crowd began to gather around and going, what's, what's going on? What's happening? This is significant, but we don't know what it is. Tell us what it is. And so this is what's really interesting. Peter comes out. and Peter sets out to be a witness to Jesus. And this is the same Peter who you have to remember, you know, just eight weeks ago. Two months ago, denied that he even knew Jesus. This is the same Peter who, in a moment of rage and in trying to protect what he thought Jesus wanted, pulled his sword out and cut an ear off of one of the soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. This is that same brash, sometimes dense, passionate Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up in power and begins to be a witness about Jesus, just as Jesus said he would. And he begins to preach. And this is no ordinary sermon. He begins to tell the story of Jesus, walking literally all the way through from the prophet Joel to the writings of King David. This is fisherman Peter, blue-collar Peter, uneducated Peter, is now connecting the dots of Scripture, saying, wait a second, I, I honestly believe... At some point, he's kind of going, oh, yeah, oh, that makes sense, as he's saying it. Going, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, and then, oh, that's right, okay, then David, okay, and he's beginning to tell the story of this promised Messiah who actually came. And in fact, he begins to say to the crowd, you were here. He was crucified. You celebrated. You were here. You were witness to the one who God sent for our life and salvation. Peter goes on to say, the same Jesus who you crucified has been raised by God from the dead and is now offering life to all. Peter is preaching. People are hearing this message from all over the world. 400,000 tourists in the city of Jerusalem are hearing this message begin to ripple throughout that moment, throughout that city. And eventually, someone has the courage to yell, what do, what, so what do we do? What do we do? Peter says, you need to confess, you need to confess that Jesus Christ 
is exactly who he says he is. And you need to confess that you are exactly who you actually are and choose him to be your Savior and Lord. And people responded to that first sermon. Again, Peter had never done a sermon before. He didn't have a strong closer. You know what I mean? He didn't know how to wrap it up with three points and all start with the same letter. He'd never done this before, right? So he just kind of ends. He's like, so you should follow Jesus. You know, that's just where it ends. And people respond. Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. We love celebrating baptism. And for those of you who made a decision to follow Jesus last week, you see how immediate the response is. They were baptized right away. Baptized. We want to celebrate that with you. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is the first sermon at the first gathering of the first church and 3,000 people decide to follow Jesus. That's a pretty good day. That's going to be a good Monday debrief, I think. I mean, this church didn't even have, they didn't even have anything figured out or organized. They didn't even have coffee mugs yet. And 3,000 people say, we want to follow this Jesus. We want to follow this Jesus. And the scriptures go on, as we'll see over the next couple weeks, to say that Thousands more and thousands more and thousands more put their faith in this Jesus who but seven weeks ago was crucified in that very town, raised by God from the dead. This is, a re- this is not organized religion, friends. This is a revolution. This is an outpouring of God's love and God's power in a way that literally changed human history. And these folks, these followers of Jesus, these ordinary, everyday people, suddenly had a power that was not their own. The Holy Spirit had now taken up residence in their life. And this is not only a significant moment, a a hinge point moment in the history of the church, this is an incredibly significant moment in the life of any follower of Jesus. Because up until this point in the Bible, you can literally put your finger at any point up to this point in the Bible, and throughout the story of the Bible, in the Old Testament, through the Gospels, you will see a God who does powerful things for his people. A God who demonstrates his love and his power for his glory, for his people, consistently, regularly. You look through the story of the Bible, and you will see a God who demonstrates his power for us by parting the Red Seas so that the people of God could escape the hand of Egypt. You will see a God who demonstrates his power for us by stopping the sun, so that Joshua and his army can actually have victory over the city of Jericho. You will see a God who literally causes fire to come down from heaven so that Elijah can have victory over the prophets of Baal. You see a God whose power is always present, moving for us, but is always outside of us. But now at this moment in Pentecost, the story gets a whole lot better. Because what we see here is that God is not just working and demonstrating and moving his power for us, Now his power is moving through us. That's very different. God will continue to demonstrate and move his power for us. But now, from that moment to this, God's power moves through us, moves through me. That's a very, very, very big shift. That's very, very important to understand. Because many of us live our lives sort of hoping that God will do things for us. And I believe he can. I know he can. I don't, I don't know how he will, I, but I believe he can. 
But what God is saying through us and teaching to us through this moment at the start of the beginning of the church to this very moment right now in this church is, I can do that for you, but I can't wait to do that through you. I can't wait to demonstrate my power through you. Because the Holy Spirit, for any follower of Jesus, is present and powerful. See, we have a hard time understanding this kind of power. Because we live in a world that has glorified a different kind of power. A power that comes from us. A power that comes from our strength, our hustle and muscle. A power that we conjure up on our own. A power that's ultimately all about what we can do. A power, honestly, that has really, at the end of the day, when you boil it down, self as the main agenda. The power that we know in our world is all about how you are going to push yourself forward and you will do whatever you have to do to continue to move your dream, your plan, your vision forward. And so what ends up happening is other people can either be obstacles or opportunities for you to leverage to get your agenda forward. We have that kind of power. We're very familiar with that kind of power. The power that we're familiar with is in limited supply. It is not inexhaustible. It is in limited supply. And so this is why you see people go through major burnouts in life. This is why you see midlife crises. This is why you see people just get stuck in life because they are exhausted from exerting their own power. We're familiar with power, but it's a very, very different kind of power. The power that God poured out through the presence of the Holy Spirit at that moment and is available to every single one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus. It's a very different kind of power. It's an upside-down kind of power. Completely, utterly opposite of what our world defines as power. See, this power that's made present and made available to us through the Holy Spirit is at its greatest when we're at our weakest. That's unlike anything else in our world. It is at its strongest and most present when we are just depleted and we, we come to the end of ourselves. God's power is present. And this is a power that is rooted in love. Love, not strength, not might, not self-will and determination. Love, that's what this power is rooted in and has demonstrated itself in again and again and again. This is a power that comes to serve. Not to take, not to demand, but to put others first. As Jesus demonstrated to his followers on the night that he was arrested, when he washed their feet, just moments before he would serve them what we call communion, Lord's Supper, right before that moment, he is serving them demonstrating to them, no, 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 I have come to serve you. That's what power is. It puts others first. Love is the agenda, not myself, not my plan, not my way. This is the kind of power that literally has no end, inexhaustible, limitless. There's no scarcity to this power that God has made available to us through the Holy Spirit. It's the power to speak the truth in love at all times, to speak the truth in love. It is the power to be able to forgive, to be able to ask for forgiveness and not just let patterns continue to grow and distance continue to grow between you and them. It's that kind of power. And it comes from God and it's available to us. And God takes great pleasure 
when it flows through us. Everything changed at Pentecost because now God's not just doing things for us. He's doing things through us, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And my sense is, as you hear that, you go, that sounds great, awesome. But how? What does that even look like? Because all I've known is this kind of power. It's the only reason I've gotten to where I've gotten in my companies because I've had to demonstrate that kind of power. It's the only thing I think holding our marriage together right now is because I have to fight and work so hard for it. That's all I know is that kind of power. Let me just give you a few snapshots of what this kind of power looks like that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit and inviting the Holy Spirit to be present in your life and active in your life every day. I was having coffee with a friend of mine who's a part of this church this week. He's, he's, do, he's really done well at his job. In fact, he's doing very well in his field, okay? But here's the thing. He's doing very well, very successful, and he hates his job. So he's that guy. You know, it's like, really? You hate your job and you're killing it there? Awesome. That's so great for you, right? But he is. He's just, it just comes natural to him. He's done very well, worked his way up, done a very, very good job really does not have a great relationship with his boss. And so he was telling me this week, because I always, I know that's like the thing that's always kind of like, you know, there with him. So I was talking to him about it, like, how's it going? How, what are you doing there? And he goes, you know, it's, it's funny. I really, really, really want to be a light in my workplace. I want to be a difference. You know, what he's saying without saying the words is, I want to demonstrate God's power through me. And he goes, so you know what I have to do every day when I get to work? I sit in the parking lot in my car. I open my Bible and I read through the Psalms until it's time to go to work. And here's a guy sitting in the parking lot, everyone else kind of running in late, you know, running into power, you know, to go to work, to accomplish, to achieve, and do all those things that are great, success, all those things are great. Here's a guy sitting with his Bible open going, God, your power, your power, your power, not my own. Left to my power, I, 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 will, I can't make it, I can't do it, I can't handle it. Your power, your presence, Holy Spirit, your presence in me today. That, I mean, it's just, it's, that's his choice he makes. The choice you and I can make every day. I saw a friend of mine who is facing for the first time in his life some of the broken patterns and um, some of where that other kind of power has led him to. Kind of just, you know, hustle and muscle and kind of making it through family stuff in his past and even work stuff where he's kind of gotten to with his job and now stuff with his wife and kids now. And I'm watching this guy over the last six months go, I can't, I can't keep doing that. It's going to kill me. I can't keep trying to hold it all together in my own power. So this is a guy who kind of says, you know what, enough. I'm going to start depending on God's power in me. So starts going to counseling, Christian counseling, has a great counselor, starts facing some of the stuff from his past, understanding it more and more and more. That begins to affect his relationship with his wife, his kids. There's now a new future being written. It's not because he's working really hard or he's grinning and bearing or he's just making it through till some breakthrough. No, he's saying, God, it's your power. I invite you in, Holy Spirit. I invite you into these places that I've boarded up to come in and reveal and demonstrate your power even in my past, even in these patterns, even for my future. This week I was having lunch with a guy who's a part of our church. And he and his fiancée are getting married in a couple of weeks. And I was so proud. I was so proud. This is a young guy, 24 years old. And uh, is just so thoroughly committed 
to letting his financial world, his resources, be ruled by God's power, not his own. He's a young guy at the beginning of his career, right? And we're sitting across the table, and he went to the Dave Ramsey event that we hosted about a month back. He was just telling me, he's like, it was like his second come to Jesus moment. He's like, dude, that thing messed me up. You know, so he's, he's telling me over lunch, you know, he's like, I, I just, I, I want to make sure that I can honor God with my finances in every way. And so he and his fiance just got their, you know, they kind of secured a place that they're going to move into once they get married. And it's, here's a concept, within their budget. And it's not a big place. It's not a flashy place. But it's a place that they can actually honor God with how they spend their rent money every month. And they're on a plan, a very aggressive plan to pay off some school debt from the past. And I'm, look, I'm sitting across from a 24-year-old going, that's a different kind of power. That's a, that's a different kind of power. He could just kind of blow past those things. Just, you know, we'll catch it on the flip side once I make my millions, then I'll pay it all off, whatever, you know. No, starting today, in my marriage, in our finances, I want God's power to be present in my life. Isn't that beautiful? And one of the things I love so much about God is he very rarely lets me get up here and, and sort of do this by my own power. And so he has given me a wonderful teaching opportunity uh, that's been going on in our life for the last couple weeks. Um, and it's an opportunity, an invitation for me to really depend on God's power and see if I will actually practice what I preach. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't, we went on vacation. It's the first Sunday we'd missed since we started the church 18 months ago, so it was awesome. I'd love to say we thought about you guys a lot, but we just, we just didn't. <laughs> and, um, and so we're now hours away from leaving vacation. We're at the pool, like, on the last day. And I don't know, you know, I don't know why, but an email came through, and, you know, Jeannie reads it to me, and she's like, so this is interesting. You know, and when she starts at that, I'm like, okay, what's it going to be? So the house that we've been renting here in the city since we moved here two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, has been, many of you have been there. This church started in that house, and we're grateful for that house. It's been a great place for our family and for this church to grow out of. And, but they sold it, and so now we have to move out. And so, you know, we're on vacation. Our kids are splashing. I'm like, okay, here we go again. Awesome. So what does this mean? Like now we have to find a place to live. And, and some, for some of you, you're like, so? Like you move so often and so effortlessly, you should honestly start your own moving company. And if you do, I want to talk to you afterwards. Um, but for us, it's a big deal because home is very important to us. And we believe the home that God has led us to truly is an answer to prayer that Gene and I prayed for several months. And so now we're going, okay, God, here we are again. Here we are again. Here's another invitation of whether we're really going to trust you or not. Because if this is left to me and my power, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my hustle and muscle on. I'm going to start making my list and going through. And that's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm going to do is blow right past God and depend on my own strength to solve this problem. And ultimately what I'm saying by that is, God, I'm going to solve this problem for you. Because I don't know if I trust your power. And we both felt very clearly, poolside, last day of vacation. This is an invitation from God. And we looked at our kids splashing the pool, both Gene and I, with, I mean, very real conviction. What kind of story do we want our kids to tell? That mom and dad just kind of figured it out and who cares and they just got us a place to live? That's fine. That's totally fine. I think there's a better story where we invite them in and they're actually praying for God to provide us a place to live. I love our six-year-old Elijah when he prays. It's so awesome. He's very straightforward. 
prays for a place, God, pray that you provide us a place, a place where we can go play in the yard, a place where Molly can go, you know, and he's, he fills in the blanks there. And, um, and then he goes, uh, and God, I pray that it would be under budget, <laughs> which is so awesome. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, you don't even know what that means, but I love that you prayed that. I love it. Under budget. And so what we feel and we know God has invited us into is an opportunity right now. And we're in the middle of it. I'm being very honest and vulnerable with you. Like, for those of you who've chosen to live in the city, and then for those of you who've chosen to raise kids in the city, you know how hard it is. It feels as though everything is working against you. Everything is working against you. But we feel so committed to what God is doing here that we say, okay, God, you have to provide. You not only, we're not only trusting you to do something for us, we believe you actually want to do something through us and grow our faith and our dependence in you and give us a better story to tell so that at the end of it, we can stand back and say, only God, only God. It's not our wisdom, our creativity, our hustle, our muscle. It's him in us, working through us. That's what I long for for my life. That's the kind of power I want to guide and guard my life. And I believe, my hunch is, you might be in the same place. And so what I want to do is invite the band to come up right now. And as they do, I want to just ask us to consider a question. And I think if we start our days with this question, it might have a very real effect, not only on our day, but on the story we have to tell and the way we live our life. The question is simply this. We'll put it up on the screen. You might want to write it down. The question is, whose power will you pursue today? I want you to think about your life and where things are at right now. My hunch is there are places in your life where you are tempted to or pulled to or called to demonstrate your own power, do it by your own strength, your own wits, your own, and you may not even think that's that big of a deal or that's even necessarily wrong per se, but I believe God has given every single one of us the opportunity like he gave to those first followers to choose which power am I going to pursue today? Whose power am I going to pursue today? Whose kingdom am I going to build today? Mine? My agenda? My power? Or could it be that God's invited me to be a part of something much greater, much bigger, to have a better story to tell, to be a witness to my city and to the world around me, that there's a God who has come, who not only does amazing, powerful things for me, but does them through me. So at work tomorrow, when you show up at work, what power are you going to pursue? When you go home and you're, you know, in the midst of a relationship and you're trying so hard in this dating relationship to pursue purity, you want to do it right. You can try and do it all on your own or you can say, no, God, I, I want to, I'm going to depend on your power. Holy Spirit, I depend on you, your presence, your power. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. Is, you know, you feel those cracks coming. You go, okay, we can try and just grin and bear it for the kids, right? Just pull this thing through. Or we can both fall to our knees and say, no, not by our might, not by our strength, not by our wit, not by our will, but by your power, God, you can save and restore this marriage. You can actually give us a better story to tell. Whose power are you going to pursue? Whose power are you going to pursue? When it comes to that addiction that you're facing right now, you've tried so hard on your own strength to beat it or at best to hide it. What would it look like for you to say, no more, no more? I can't. I never could. I depend on you and your power in me and through me. That's our hope for this church. 
We're not, we're not counting on our decor. We're not counting on numbers, although those are great. We're not counting on our strategies and all that we kind of have figured out. We're not. The only way we have something to witness about, to tell about, to proclaim to the city is God's power alive and active in us and through us, through you, through me. That's it. That's the story we have to tell. And here's the great news. It's available to every single one of us, every single one of us. No matter how religious you feel, no matter how, you know, you think you've got it figured out, doesn't matter. These guys didn't have it figured out. Same power, same power, same power available to you today. So I'm going to pray for us, and I want you to consider that question. Whose power am I going to pursue with my life? And then we're going to, we're going to sing about it. We're going to literally bear witness to the goodness and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have come. This is real. That thing we feel, it feels different than the rest of our life. That's your presence in our life. That's your prompting. That's your nudging. And we not only want to listen to it, we want to respond to it. We not only want to respond to it, we want to depend on it. We depend on you, oh God, and your power in us and moving through us. We thank you that you don't reserve it for super religious people or people who have it all figured out or have been at this thing for a long time. No, it's for every single one of us. Same power, same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is actually in us and can move through us today. And oh God, I know that is how you built your church and how you will build this church. And that is the story you are inviting us into, a different story for us to tell. At the end of it, all we can say is only God, only God, only God, only God. So it's in your name, by your presence and your power that we pray, amen.